Good morning, everybody. Right, we are starting today with a new sermon series, The Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, whatever you want to call it. We're busy with that. So, um, there's so much in here. This is so important. Thank you, my dear brother-in-law. Wow. My best brother-in-law. Right, Sermon on the Mount. So there's so much in here, so much revelation, so much that we decided that we're going to have a couple of people bring their perspective, the way they see it, their revelation that they have, which is so good because you know, you've got Pastor Doug, our father in the house with his father heart viewpoint of everything. You know, we've got Jason with just, I mean, you can hear him, just the worship, the sitting at the feet of Jesus, just the intercession that he walks and moves in. And we've got Mr. Bishop over there with the mind that he says things that are so revelational and just phenomenal. He's going to bring my sister over there with a prophetic bend and seeing things in the Spirit. So we've got a lot of people that are going to bring revelation about the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to get different viewpoints of that. So it's going to be very interesting. So today is just literally an introduction. We're not going to get into it. We're not going to go through any of it. Just why is it there? If it's in the Word, it's important. So why is this in the Word? Why do we have it? Why did Jesus decide that whatever he wanted in the Word, this is in there? So we need to know what he's saying there. So before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, we need to have some background on this. It's important to know why did Jesus say what he said? Why did Jesus only say the things that he said when he came down the mountain, when this started. Why didn't he say it before? Why is it at that specific time that he said this? There's so many things that play into this, and we just need a bit of a background to see how powerful this actually is. Very important, I think, is we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Have you heard that before? It's not a sermon. If we read the Word... It talks about Jesus sat down and taught the people. So we're even calling it something that it isn't. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's a teaching. Forty-three times in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus taught the people. Forty-three times. And only 19 times does it say he preached. So twice as much that he did teaching than he did preaching. That's important to know. There's a reason. Why did he do that? So we say Sermon on the Mount, and I'm not harping on that, but it's not. It's teaching. He came, he sat down, and he taught the people. So what's the difference between teaching and preaching, if it's such a big deal, if, if it names? Oh, by the way, there are six verses that says in the same verse, he taught and he preached. 43 teaching, 19 preaching, 6 taught and preached at the same time. So, teaching is explaining. Preaching is proclaiming. Difference between the two. Teaching is explaining. Preaching is proclaiming. And many, many times what happens is we have people that can greatly come and they can preach, give a sermon. And what happens with preaching, it's great. It's proclaiming. But if there is just proclamation and proclaiming without teaching, it doesn't do that much. doesn't do that much. Because I can stand here, we can get someone who, who has been healed by the stripes of Jesus. 
And they stand up here and they take the word and they will start saying, man, I had cancer and Jesus healed me. And by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And hallelujah for the stripes and the cross. And and people can get excited. and It's something to get excited about. So there's no reason we shouldn't jump up and down and bounce off the chairs because the stripes of Jesus healed another one. And we can proclaim the healing and how great those stripes were and everything Jesus did. Hoorah, hey, hey, and everyone is happy. But now there's someone in the crowd sitting who is sick. And when they leave that service, they don't know how to make the healing their own. So all that proclaiming was great. And it's marvelous in the sense of faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So now they have faith for healing. But faith without works is dead. So now I have all of this faithful healing. What do I do now? No one told me how to get to the point that you are. I believe in healing because I see it in you. I know it. I read it in the Word. How do I get it? What, what What did you do to get healed? You didn't just sit on the sofa. Jesus walked into your living room and said, Bam, take a healing. That's not how it worked. So teach me the steps you took, because obviously you heard about healing, you believed it, and you acted out on that. How did you do the acting out? So when we teach, we train and explain. This is step one. This is what you do. This is step two. This is So that when everyone leaves the building after a teaching, they can say, I know what to do now so that I can get healed and then I can start proclaiming the goodness of the Lord as well. That makes sense? So, so many times Jesus preached, but more than double did he teach the people. Why did Jesus say the stuff he did to the people? Why did he tell them this? Jesus came to introduce something to them that they had never heard before was absolutely brand new, a completely new way of living. Jesus had to make people understand that they could not live the kingdom that he was introducing from their point of view. They had to live the kingdom from God's point of view. And it's still the same today. You can't enter into this kingdom and live it by my way, my rules, what I think is right or wrong. We have to live it by what he says is right or wrong. What he says the way it is, that is the way it should be lived, and then it will work. But the people didn't hear this before. So Jesus is introducing something quite new to them that was never, ever heard before in their days. They were living in religion. They were trying to live a life through rules and regulations to get to heaven one day. That's religion. It's you doing a lot of stuff to one day get to heaven. That's religion. Do this, do this, do this, so that you can go there one day. And in the kingdom, our relationship with God is not a do this, do this. Our relationship is he came and he brought heaven to us. That's the difference. Religion, you do things to get to heaven. Relationship, God did things to get heaven to you. And now when we walk and move in this kingdom, the kingdom was never meant to be lived from earth to heaven. The kingdom was meant to be lived from heaven to earth. We even sang that song today, Heaven Touching Earth. Right. So that's what Jesus was doing. He was bringing something in that they've never heard before. 
Religion is doing in order to receive. But our relationship is receiving because of, because of what was already done. Say that again. Religion is doing so that you can receive. Relationship is receiving because it has already been done. So he's gone to the cross. He has paid the price. He has forgiven us. He's already done that. And because of what he has done, we now can receive this kingdom. We can receive peace, spirit, soul, and body. We can receive blessings in every area of our life. We can now receive the health that he made available through coming, being beaten, and all of those things. So it's not that we do, do, do to get, but we receive because he made it available to us. And that's how this kingdom works. They never heard of that before. This was new. So Jesus is now teaching them. This is a new way of doing things. You boys have no idea of how the kingdom works. That's why it comes in here and John starts saying, there's a, there's a new system, there's a new way of doing things. It's called the kingdom. Sit down, let me teach you how it works. And he goes through it, and he goes through it, and he goes through it. That's why Jesus is saying all of these things, because it's brand new to the people. You and I, we grow up in the kingdom, you know. When we got reborn or saved or entered into the kingdom, there were people walking in the kingdom way before us. So we kind of get used to, we see the kingdom. They didn't. It was the first time that it was introduced. It was so new to them that, can you imagine sitting there on the mountain and Jesus brings these new revelations and these new ways of living? where They are so used to rules and regulation and must do this and don't walk so far on a Saturday. You know, and all of them, Jesus comes and he says there's something brand new. That is not the way you're going to live your life, by rules and regulations anymore. It's going to be through a relationship with God. Completely something, but we grew up in that. The person that probably led us to the Lord, they said, man, this is a great relationship. We just took it for granted. But those people couldn't have that. So that's why he's teaching and explaining this new way of living life that they should enter into. If we go to Acts 10 verse 38. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Here we see the kingdom at hand. We see how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. There we have Father, Son, Holy Ghost. All three together in operation. Kingdom is at hand. Kingdom is working. They're always together. They never ever do something that one says, well, maybe you need to do it. I think they, they just so flow with one another, trust one another, honor one another. And that's the way we are supposed to be as well in this kingdom. So there we see the kingdom at hand, Acts 10.38. If we go to another verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Matthew doesn't mention this. Luke catches this little bit. And he writes, he says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit after he was fasting. Matthew doesn't say that. Luke says he, he returned in the power of the Spirit. So here once again, we have the kingdom. We have Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the region and then verse 15 says, And he taught 
in his synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus says, I only say what I hear my father say. That's why I'm telling you this, because my father's telling me to tell you this. So there we have the father. We have Jesus speaking the words himself, and we have the Holy Ghost making it come to pass. So there's the kingdom in action. So wherever we have Father, Son, and Holy Ghost together, working together in unity, the kingdom is advancing. That's the kingdom. So Jesus is introducing this to them. Uh, First John, uh, John 3.8 Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason he came. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So why did Jesus stand on that mountain that day and teach them these exact words? To destroy the works of the devil. That's important when we're going to go through this whole series. Why did he say that? Because every word he was speaking, chapter 5, 6, 7, he was coming to destroy the works of the devil. That's how that whole thing started. It's not that he didn't have anything to say or he was going to another place and he would just stop there for a few minutes because it was 15 minutes that he could just do nothing. He was on purpose. I came to destroy the works of the devil. And these words I'm teaching you right now is how you are going to do it. It's not going to be like the old. It's not going to be obeying laws and rules and regulations. This is how it is going to be for you to destroy the works of the devil. So when we go through this, that is the background of why Jesus stood there and said these words, to destroy everything that the devil brought. So if we read, we're not going to go into it, but the first one, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So where's the works of the devil in that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Adam and Eve had the kingdom of heaven in the beginning, but they lost it. So there's the work of the enemy, taking away the kingdom from them by deceiving them. So now man not living in the kingdom is the work of the devil. So Jesus comes to destroy the fact that man is not in the kingdom anymore. And he says, you want to get in that kingdom? Be poor in spirit and the kingdom is back. It's yours again. So you can live like Adam and Eve before they ate of the fruit. That's the work of the devil. And I came that that may be destroyed. That's why he came. So everything after the blessed, blessed are the da 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 at the end of every line, that's what the enemy did. And that's what Jesus came to destroy. Blessed are the people who do this because they will receive this. That that they receive, is that what the enemy took away from man that God originally planned for man to have? And now he came to bring that back. So that's the blessing that he spoke and proclaimed other people that would destroy the works of the enemy. Acts 3, verse 26. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. A lot of people are very, they don't want to hear about the pure blessing. we, We have to suffer and we have to go through. And there is that, but people are so scared of the blessing, they don't want to hear. But the word says, Jesus came to bless you. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the enemy? Is that not a blessing? The works of the enemy not here anymore? Goodness me, that's a blessing. So are you going to choose and say, ah, devil, slap me, slap me, slap me. That, 
No, Jesus came to take that away. So we don't look for the slapping and bow and it's so hard. Jesus came to destroy that. Jesus came to bless. To you first, the Jew, and then to us. Jesus came to bless us. And that does not mean that he came to make life 100% in every area of your life. You will never have a difficult day. It's, that's not what he's saying. But he said, everything that the enemy throws at you, I came that you don't have to go through that. There's victory through. You will go through the storm. You will go through the fire. But I will be with you and we will get to the other side. That's the blessing. Not sitting on your sofa and saying, okay, he's just calling healing and health and money and wife and husband. All. That's not blessing. That's not the way that God does it. We enter the kingdom and we work with him. We partnership with him in everything he has made available. That's the way he came to bless. So, Jesus came to bless us. First the Jewish people, but we are the seed of Abraham, so it comes to us as well. Up until now, all the people knew was the law. That's all they knew. The law produces two things. Hypocrisy or condemnation. The law produces two things. Hypocrisy or condemnation. Because there's not one person that could say, man, this law thing, I got it down. Follow me as I follow Christ. This law thing is easy. Everything it says, I do. Look at me. You're a hypocrite. Because there's no way. There's not one person other than Jesus who could keep the whole law. But then on the other hand, if you are pure in heart and trying to serve God and doing your best and trying, you could not fulfill the whole law. So there would be a day where you would slip up and what is that, man? I'm trying so hard, I blew it again. What does that do? Oh my goodness, I'm not living up to this. I can't do this. No matter how hard I try, I'm not reaching that. That's what the law did. That's what they were used to. So when Jesus comes in and he preaches something completely different, Imagine how those people must have sat and heard the words for the first time, him him teaching them on the mount. So that's what the law does, and we are not under the law anymore. Praise God. John verse 1, 16 and 17. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, and 17, for the law was given through Moses, but very important, grace and truth came through Jesus. It's not just truth. He is the way, the truth, and life. But it was not just truth that came through Jesus, and it was not just grace. It was grace and truth. Those two go hand in hand. Wherever you see Jesus and the true gospel, you will see grace and truth. Because just truth in itself, or just grace in itself, can be very, very damaging. You need to put the two together. If I just bring truth, it can be very, very harsh. It's true. It's the truth, but it could be very damaging. Uh, You go to a doctor, for example, and you smoke. The doctor, nothing against anyone who smokes, but the doctor says to you, hey, listen, you've got emphysema. This is bad. You've got to stop smoking. Your lungs can't handle this. You're going to get cancer if you don't stop right now. You understand. You have a revelation of how dangerous the cigarettes are, but you keep on smoking. The next thing you know, you can't breathe. You go to the doctor. They do a little scan. You have cancer of your lungs. Now, truth is, the doctor can stand there and say, did I not tell you this is going to happen? 
I told you, if you do not stop smoking, you will get cancer and you're going to die. Now you've got cancer and you're going to die. And it's so painful, this cancer, because you can't swallow. And the fluid is just going to go up and up and up. And, you're going to, and, and, and all of that is the truth. But there's no grace in that. So just the truth being brought forth in harshness is not just what Jesus brought. He brought the truth with grace. Grace, on the other hand, someone goes to a pastor and says, listen, I'm battling with this. I'm really, I'm trying to get rid of it. Ah, oh, you're under the blood. Don't worry. We're in the new covenant. All things are good. Don't make a mistake. It's okay. Just live your life. No, that's also damaging. So grace, just grace in itself is not good. It has to be with truth. Because you see, you can come and say to the pastor, I'm battling with this, and the pastor will say, right, grace will teach you to live a godly life, and it will raise you above this. So there's accountability with that grace. Power that goes with that grace. Not just the, you under the blood, it's okay, forget it, don't mention it to anyone, it's our secret. (laughs) That's not grace. So when Jesus came, whenever he spoke to people, He brought grace and truth. Remember the lady caught in adultery? I don't condemn you, grace, but go your way and sin no more. It wasn't just, who who condemns you? No one? Okay, it's just between us. There you go. He didn't do that. The grace and the truth in every circumstance in our life, there has to be the two together. The truth of the gospel and the grace of the gospel. Because just one of those by themselves could be very, very damaging. So grace and truth came through Jesus. Uh, the Beatitudes were always preached in a very, very fearful way to me. I have to show you this. Just a little example. When I was growing up, the, when, when people brought the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount to me, it was really, really scary. And they preached it from a law point of view. I didn't want to hear the Beatitudes. And there were so many people who were saying, Man, this, is, this is great, this is phenomenal, Jesus, I, was, I, I don't want to hear that. Because it was brought in a way that brought so much fear. And it was like this. Who wants the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, me do. I, I, I want the kingdom of heaven. Okay, reach and grab it. And, and it would be there. And the minister would say, oh, you've you got to be more humble. You're not humble enough, rifle. You're not mourning enough, rifle. And all of these, you're not poor enough in spirit. All of these things were, and I was, because I'm telling you I'm a good person. My heart is for God. I don't want to disappoint him. And out of my good heart, I was trying my best to live up to that kingdom. And every day I would try to get the kingdom. I would go and I would, and I'm, I, I might just have it for a day or two and then it's gone again. And I could never, ever grasp this kingdom because it was always just too far for me to reach. Because every minister that stood in front of me told me how I was lacking, how I wasn't good enough, how sinful I was, how bad I was, 
how you should have known better. Haven't you been a Christian for three years and you're still doing the same thing? And over and over again, the kingdom was just going further and further and further away from me. Even though in my heart, I loved God. I wanted that kingdom more than anything else. And this is what the kingdom of God was, a carrot on a stick that I could never, ever reach. But praise God for his grace that he brought people into my life who knew God and they could preach this thing and they could teach me how it works. And now I've got the carrot. So, thank you. Jesus is just so amazing. Me, me trying to get that, that, that carrot, the kingdom, and I couldn't. And God sent people to me, and you know, I'd listen to people who knew God. And they would talk about God, and I would listen to them, and I would say to myself, I want to know their Jesus. Because the Jesus I'm being told about, and the God I'm being told about, man, is harsh. And he's out to get me. But I, these people who are talking to me, I want to know their Jesus. So I started listening, and they were good teachers, and they explained the Word of God for what the Word says. And today, God is just so good that He has allowed me to be one of those people to tell other people who don't know the kingdom and don't know God. I can tell them about the goodness of God. He's turned that situation completely around. So it's easy for me when someone comes and they say, well, God this and God that, and I fully understand because I was there. So you're not going to say something that's going to hurt me or offend me or make me not want to deal with you because I'm not going to let what you don't see affect that which I do see. So you may not see the blood, the sacrifice, the love, the kingdom, the God that I know. You may not see him, but I was once in your shoes and I didn't either. So when you lash out in anger or ignorance or fear or hurt, it's okay because I see what you are seeing and I used to see that way. But now I see differently because he's changed my viewpoint. He's allowed me into this kingdom. And now in this kingdom that cannot be shaken, I understand where you're coming from. And I understand that his love for you is so great. So your fear or anger it doesn't bother him. He's paid for that. He still loves you. And God has allowed me to go from the end of that stick, chasing the carrot, to be the one giving out the kingdom and carrots to people who want to enter, just because of his goodness. He is so good. Um, I remember hating reading, really hated it. And there's my beautiful mother over there who's in the service today all the way from South Africa. And she would make me read. And I hated it. I would rather just have a rugby ball and kick and play in the back of the yard. But reading is so important. You can't go to university. If you can't read, your vocabulary, you know, reading is so important. And I would hear people around me the whole time say things like, man, I would rather be lying in bed reading a good book. I would think to myself, 
drag me behind a truck over a thorn road (laughs) rather than put me in a bed and read a good book? Who in their right mind? I would rather be lying in a nice bath reading a book and I'm like, just just drown yourself. (laughs) You don't have to read. That's how I hated reading. But I had to read when I went to school. There's just no way around not reading. And that was Jesus to me. I I tried to make myself enjoy reading. And there was one teacher at school. Her name was Yefra Kukamur. And she would say that when you read a book, you wash your hands. I was little. I remember. She said, you wash your hands. But you always wash your hands twice because no matter how you wash your hands, there's always a little bit more dirt. She was very, very holy on her library, library books. So we had to wash our hands twice. And I decided that I was going to make myself enjoy reading so that I could be like everyone else. And I remember the day that I made that huge decision in my life. Went to the bathroom, washed my hands, and then did it again. (laughs) Looking in the mirror, you know, standing up, saying to myself, isn't this fun? (laughs) Now my hands are clean. I can read. Yay! Went to the kitchen, made some popcorn. This is not microwave era. This is you put oil in the pan, those little pop, pop, pop things. When they came out, put butter on, sugar. I made myself a huge strawberry milkshake. Took milk. We lived on a, on a farm. We had a cow, so milk was not a problem. Put strawberries in there. So now, of course, people say, you know, drink a nice cup of coffee and read. There's nothing better than that. So I'm going to do this. So I get outside. I put my feet on it. I remember I put my feet on it and I see how, you know, how the people do it. And I got my bowl of popcorn and I got my strawberry milkshake. And I'm going to read this book and enjoy it. After five minutes, popcorn, milkshake, gone. I'm still in the introduction of the book. And absolutely hating it. I thought to myself, this, is, this, this, this doesn't work. You know what? I couldn't make myself like reading. I couldn't make myself like Jesus. And Jesus is all around. And even before I was saved, I knew that there is a heaven and hell. There's a God. I knew that. But I was just trying to make myself like Jesus and God and the kingdom because it's all around and you can't escape it. It's everywhere. And there were so many people around me that enjoyed Jesus. And God is so good. And I didn't see it. And I felt I needed to make myself like Jesus, like everybody else. And I tried and I tried And it didn't work. I failed every time because up until that stage, no one had taught me about the goodness of God that brings man to repentance, about the kingdom of God. I wasn't taught that. So me trying to make myself like reading, me trying to make myself like God, if you are in here and you're in a place that you don't know God and you're trying to, it's not going to work. Because you can't make yourself. You have to allow him, introduce himself to you in all his goodness so that you just fall in love with him. There is no other way of putting it because he is just that good. But until that day, if you don't see it, I'm not going to allow what you don't see affect that which I do see. 
He is good and He loves you unconditionally. And it's not a cliche, that's just the way it is. Jesus likes and loves you whether you like it or not. So, Jesus comes and as a good teacher, when He starts out this teaching, He, he doesn't criticize. Even in Revelation when he says these things I have, but he says you do these things right, and then he says the things that you do wrong. Like a good teacher, Jesus doesn't come with the Beatitudes and he says, man, you all, whoa, you're not in the kingdom, you this and this. He, he doesn't do that. He starts out like a good teacher, graceful when he speaks to the people. The Pharisees didn't do that. They were telling the people, you're not praying enough, you're walking too far, how much did you give? blah 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 And Jesus comes and he brings in something completely new that they've never, ever heard. So the people were used to obeying outer rules and regulations so that they could try and have an inner peace. And that was not the way Jesus brought it. So imagine sitting there and Jesus bringing this teaching for the very first time. You have to understand that the word blessed was never used for man. It was used for the gods or people who died and went to wherever you went. It was never used for man. So when Jesus comes and he uses this word that was used only for gods and people who had passed away, and he says, blessed, and we'll look at that word now, he says, blessed, he's speaking to the people and he's pronouncing a blessing over them for the very, very, very first time. Can you imagine sitting there and this guy who heals, who, who does so much good, who raises people up, he comes and he's going to teach and the first word that comes out of his mouth is not, if you want to be like me, you've got a first word that comes out as he says, you're empowered to prosper people. You are empowered to prosper. That's why I am here. You looking at your endowment of power. The first word that they heard out of the mouth of Jesus on that sermon. He comes and he tells them blessed. So they're not used to this. So this word blessing means, even if we go to the Amplified Bible, just read it out of here. This is the word that Jesus uses in the Amplified. Blessed happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward conditions. They obeying the law. You do this, you do that. Not allowed to do this, not allowed to. And Jesus comes and he says, man, you are now empowered to prosper. Blessed by the Father. To be envied. Can you imagine these guys' lives, everything they're hearing, day in and day out. And here comes this man and he says, now you're to be envied. Now the, the war, so to speak, between heaven and earth, it's over. Now there's just blessing that's going to come. And they sit there and they listen to something, oops, that they've never ever heard before. So the next line, it has a different meaning for blessing. Blessed, next verse 5, happy, blithesome, joyous, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction, 
regardless of their soul's condition. It's just, you read it in the Amplifier, and it's just Jesus is coming and just turning the tables on the law, and you're not good enough, and you have to live up to this. And he comes and he says, now heaven has come down to you. And now because I have come, I'm your blessing, and I enable you now to prosper. I enable you to walk in fullness of life. And then it's not what he was saying, and we'll go through that just now. It's like the law, something is over here that is promised. The kingdom of heaven is this side. It's promised. And here in between, there's a big gap, and Jesus stands over here. This is the way it was preached. Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, rifle, if you want the kingdom of heaven, you have to be poor in spirit. And for me to get to the kingdom, to have to go through this being poor in spirit, Raise your hand here if you can honestly say you are poor enough in spirit to enter God's kingdom. No one could do that. That's the way it was preached, but that's not the way it is. Jesus comes and he says to the people, you are now empowered to prosper. You are now to be envied. There's a change in your life because I am here. And because I am here, you are now able to be poor in spirit so that the kingdom of yours is yours for free. And it changes that you have to do this, have to do this in order for you to get that. He comes and will go through the others, the, you know, whatever they say. But it's a whole different way of speaking. God knew exactly what his mission was. He needed to get man out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. That's why we have this Beatitudes, whatever. It's a Latin word that means completely, wholly blessed and happy and fortunate. That, that's where we get the English word Beatitude. That's what it means. So Jesus comes and he says to them, you are now going to be wholly, completely blessed and happy. You are to be envied because your life is going to turn around and everything that the enemy took away from you, you are now empowered to prosper to take that back because I am here. I am your empowerment. I enable you to prosper. So I'm going to live life. I'm going to show you how the kingdom of God functions. I am your walking example of the kingdom. So, if you look at me and my life, you will see how the kingdom functions. So God sent me to enable you to prosper because you are going to do things through my faith. You are going to do things with my words. You are going to do things through my power, the Holy Spirit. You, you're not going to do it on your own. But not only do I empower you, but I give you a day-to-day -day walking example of how to do it. So now I have a picture of Jesus doing all that he did and just being in the kingdom and being in relationship with God and everything that came from that. And don't you know that people just thronged and flocked to Jesus? They couldn't get enough of him. People just wanted to be where he was. That's to be envied. When people come around you and they just want to be in your presence because there's such a sweetness of God. Rather than, oh, why did you do that? Why are you like that? Why you should? People don't want to be around people like that. But people came and they flocked to Jesus all the time because he had this presence of God. So Jesus came so that he could get them out of the kingdom and the rules and the regulations that they were in into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, verse 12 to 15. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus had to start teaching about the kingdom, coming as an example of how the kingdom works, that the rules and regulations that you had to do to get the good, that's not there anymore. You're going to get the good because he empowers you to get it. You're going to get the good because he came and brought the good to you. And you and I are now going to agree with what he already did and just receive everything he made available instead of having to do this and do that to get something. And the people had never, ever heard that before. So when he comes and he speaks the first word, he waited till everyone, everyone was there and then he sat down. And the first word that came out of his mouth was, you are now empowered to prosper. You are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So he was saying, you can now be poor in spirit because I enable you to prosper with my faith, with my meekness, with my humbleness so that the kingdom of yours is just added. I bring it to you. You don't have to work and suffer and never be able to get hold of it. That's just the background. That is the beginning. That's the start of our series. So when we go through chapter 5, 6, and 7 and people speak, just remember that, that this is something new to them something completely and utterly not even heard by them before. And it's the goodness of God. And that's how it starts out. So we will end there today. That's just the introduction. We have the whole summer to go through the teaching on the mount and how Jesus came and, and said what he said, why he said it, so that you and I can have the keys of the kingdom because it's our Father's good pleasure to give it to us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking those words. Blessed, empowered to prosper are you now, mankind, because I am here. We thank you, Lord, that we have the ability, the grace, the hope, everything that is needed for us to walk daily in your kingdom and have kingdom results. Thank you that your kingdom rules and reigns over all. Thank you that you have made the way for us to enter in. So we gladly come and we say, yes, we are blessed. We are empowered to prosper because of what Jesus had done for us. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your relationship with us, Lord. Thank you for everything you did. We receive everything you've made available by grace through faith. And that's what we pray we do in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need prayer, there will be people up here that